Good afternoon and welcome to the Monday edition of the Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. Coming up this afternoon, we'll have details on today's USDA WASDE report. Also, we'll hear from Keith Curry with the Canadian Federation of Agriculture. Up first in today's country comment, we'll have an update on Manitoba Egg X scheduled to take place in Brandon this fall. The latest farm news and market numbers all coming up over the next 60 minutes. The time now is 12 o'clock. Here's a look at our local news. Good afternoon. You're listening to the Manitoba Farm Journal. Manitoba Egg X is going ahead this fall in Brandon, October 27th to the 30th at the Keystone Center. Betty Swatsky spoke with Dallas Johnson, co-chair of the Manitoba Egg X committee. Well, we're going back to the way it was a few years ago. It'll be just... Uh a cattle show again. We don't have uh, any of the equine events with us anymore. I guess with COVID, it's just been such a tough time. Maybe explain a little bit about how you came to the decision to just pursue and and, and go for it. Well, in Manitoba, we're trending in the right direction right now. And uh, as everybody probably knows, like at the Provincial X, we're, we're struggling to keep moving ahead with no events to raise any money. And the decision was made that uh, we would start planning for this year's AGX and uh, hopefully everything is in a spot that we'll be able to proceed with it adhering to the rules when October rolls around. Our event would take place all in the north end of the, the Keystone facility which is the four barns and a Canada room and, of course, the show ring. So, you know, we're hoping, like last year, there was a show that went on in Lloyd Minister and uh, they wore masks in the show ring and things like that. I mean, there's ways to go about it as long as you follow the rules that are put in place by the government. What is the, um, I mean, I, I've been to AGEX many times, but for those who've not ever been there, tell us the significance of AGEX and, and holding it again this year. Well, AGEX is the largest purebred cattle show in Manitoba, and it's uh, happened every October. It kind of kicks off the, the fall show season, and it's a way for producers in Manitoba, Saskatchewan, and Alberta and we even had exhibitors from Ontario. It's a way for them to showcase their livestock and their program to the general public and other breeders with the hope that they'll be able to sell some cattle and uh, embryos or whatever. To uh, It's a way they generate part of their annual income through the sale of purebred cattle. Okay. And holding an event at the Keystone Centre, it kind of gives hope to all of us that life is getting back to some sense of normal again? Oh, absolutely. We uh, we had a committee meeting, which is all the breed reps, and uh, you could tell people have kind of been locked up because it was so good to just visit with people again at the meeting, spaced out and everything. But, you know, you still got to have a, a get-together and people enjoyed visiting with each other again. That was Dallas Johnson, co-chair of the Manitoba Egg X Committee, speaking with reporter Betty Suwatsky. The event is scheduled to take place at the Keystone Centre in Brandon, October 27th through to the 30th. A look at what's happening in the markets this afternoon is coming up. Good afternoon, I'm Corey Canute. With temperatures once again climbing, farmers across the province continue to struggle with drought conditions. 
James Bazan is the Member of Parliament for Selkirk Interlake and also farms in the region. He says the situation is dire. We know in the past that rains uh, that come uh, from here on in will, will, may save some pasture land, uh, but it won't uh, give us a hay crop. Uh, and it may be too late uh, for, for the uh, calf crops out there as well, and, and uh, worried about how it will impact on overall um, quality and, and the quantity of, of the crops that we have out there. Rural municipalities like St. Laurent and Coldwell have already declared local agricultural states of emergencies with more areas in the region expected to follow suit. The province is providing almost $6 million to watershed districts programs. The additional $353,000 provided this year will aid in expansion efforts in the Pemina River Watershed District and the Red Boyne Watershed District. The province is working with the Pemina Valley and Water Boyne Watershed Districts and municipalities to develop proposals outlining future membership in the program. An amended regulation will be required to formalize the membership, which is anticipated for March 31st of 2022. BASF Canada Agricultural Solutions has launched its Safety Scouts program. Through the initiative, participants will receive a free safety vest and toolkit. Nicole McCauley is Head of Communications and Public Affairs at BASF really just a fun and interactive way for BSF to support family farm safety. It's part of our long-standing partnership with CASA, the Canadian Agricultural Safety Association, and it aims to build on the online kids safety hub that we built last year in response to a bit of a shift from moving from in-person safety education programs for kids into online resources to help farm families stay safe. According to Canadian Agricultural Injury Reporting, 84 Canadian children and youth lost their lives due to agriculture-related injuries between 2006 and 2015. The House of Commons has adjourned for the summer. Ag Minister Marie-Claude Bibeau looked back on the sitting. If we look at the Parliament directly, I would say that uh, moving forward for the with the Budget Implementation Act was really the, the top priority because there were so many benefits uh, attached to that and it was important to us to be able to continue to help people in need, businesses moving in the transition. That was a look at today's Farm News. I'm Corey Canute. Good afternoon and welcome to the Prairie Eggwire for Monday, July 12th. I'm Corey Canute. Coming up today, we'll hear from Canadian Federation of Agriculture Vice President Keith Curry. In light of the recent announcement that Ontario has decided to increase the agri-stability compensation rate from 70 to 80 percent, the Canadian Federation of Agriculture is urging other provinces to follow suit. Here's CFA Vice President Keith Curry. Well, a couple or three weeks ago, Ontario came out, the province of Ontario, the Minister of Agriculture at the time, came out and said that uh, Ontario was going to bump up the coverage to 80 percent uh, from their end. And they were calling on the federal government to to match, you know, their 60% of of uh, coverage as well. And we're we're happy to see that Ontario did that. Uh, Quebec and BC had, had done it earlier. And so, you know, really, we're, we we would be, it would be nice if all the provinces came on board. But we're asking the federal government to honor uh, their share of the 60% of those that have have declared that they will bump up the coverage to 80%. Um, we don't want uh, those farmers helped by a few other provinces that may not wish to participate in, in the full coverage, uh, up to 80%. Uh, so, 
you know, we're challenging the, the federal government to, to match those dollars uh, for, our, for our members. The other issue I wanted to chat a little bit about was uh, Bill C-208. Give us an update on that, your concerns there. Well, C-208 did, uh, did pass through the House, and then uh, after much debate in the Senate, did pass and received royal assent. Uh, but the uh, the government and the Ministry of Finance is looking at not implementing it right away, not enacting it right away, uh, because they have some changes that they are looking at making. They think that there may be some loopholes that may be taken advantage of, and I don't know that it's necessarily with respect to agriculture operations, but this bill does encompass all small businesses uh, with respect to the capital gains exemption. But, you know, we're saying... Uh, Get this implemented right away because a lot of our businesses. I mean, if you look at look at your uh, your area where your listeners are, um, you know, there's big farms that a lot of them are incorporated now, and you know, our our farm community is looking aggressively at succession planning for their family. As you know, 90% of our farms are family owned and operated, and and uh, through a, a corporate structure now that's more more common in farming. It makes it much more difficult under the old laws. Uh, in fact, it's easier to, to sell to a, uh, uh, someone you don't know, a stranger, as opposed to selling to your family. So we'd like to see those changes implemented right away as soon as possible. And, and really, you know, when you look at legislation uh, that, that's put in place today, there's not a lot of nuts and bolts in the legislation itself. Most of that comes under the regulation. So if, in fact, there is some uh, case where there's, you know, opportunities to maybe find loopholes that can be changed later through through changing the regulations. So, let's get this ongoing. Uh, both houses approved it. Let's get it enacted and, and let's move forward. That was Keith Curry, vice president with the Canadian Federation of Agriculture. Disease is a key issue for farmers that can impact quality and yield potential in a crop. Researchers are continually working on developing new resistant varieties. Glendalee Allen-Vossler recently talked with Dr. Sumia Barayas, a wheat pathologist with Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada's Research and Development Centre at Swift Current. This week, they talk about rust disease in wheat and how resistance is being developed. When we talk about wheat diseases, rust is a, a common disease that producers have to deal with, and there really are a number of variants with this, Right. Uh, yeah, actually, there is uh, there is three type uh, there is three type of rust. Like we call them the rust, and there is uh, uh, what we the, the, we call the leaf rust or the brown rust. Like for for farmers, uh, there is the stripe rust uh, or yellow rust, and there is the stem rust or black uh, like black rust. So the, the leaf rust and the yellow rust they both infect the leaves, and the uh, stem rust infects the stem. Uh, like in, in Canada and Western Canada and the growing area, like leaf rust and stem rust, uh, they are, um, uh, like we manage those ones uh, with the presence and uh, the use of, uh, and the development of uh, resistant, uh, cultivars. Uh, the threat and, and the use of fungicide, of course. And the, the, the threat is the, uh, stripe rust. Uh, the stripe rust, like after, like two decades ago, uh, stripe rust traditionally likes cool weather. And after like uh, year 2000, uh, they started seeing stripe rust that is adapting to uh, warmer conditions for spread and infection. So that's the threat. This is what happens. Like rust, uh, they say it. Like rust never sleeps. What they do is they try to adapt 
to become more virulent, and then that's the uh, the, the emergence of, of new races, like shift of, of virulence that uh, makes uh, makes uh, looking for uh, the rest like something that we should keep an eye on. We don't we don't forget about them. Like uh, they are there, they circulate by air, like the spores. So we should always look and and monitor our fields. And and the rest actually uh, they infect the leaves. So they will uh, take all that green area. So they will not like there will be loss of of yield, like of uh, in the world, like rust that cause major major loss of wheat production. Leaf rust and stem rust, all our varieties, uh, they carry resistance. So we develop very good varieties that carry resistance to uh, uh, to uh, to leaf rust and and stem rust. Uh, also, we are working on the stripe rust, but that's the thing uh, we don't know. Like when they shift the virulence they might break down that resistance and 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 become more virulent. It's well managed, but we should keep an eye, always keep an eye. Overall, final thoughts, key comments that you would like to leave with producers today? Here at Swift Current Research and Development Center, we are uh, uh, working like uh, to develop the best uh, cultivars. Like we're working to develop uh, superior cultivars that will uh, uh, will uh, increase the farmer's economic return. Uh, we we have uh, cultivars that uh, carry resistance, so it's it's good to use uh, uh, and uh, grow these these cultivars, and uh, that will uh, not only increase economic return for the farmer, but uh, uh, it will be like. Uh, a nutritious wheat, uh, very good quality that uh, that would be very competitive uh, in the international uh, market. Talking about Durham and Fusarium, this year uh, our Durham wheat breeding program registered like the first uh, Durham line with an intermediate resistant level to FHB. Like this is the first uh, in Canada and in the world. So uh, hopefully we'll see this uh, this uh, variety uh, in the next few years, and hopefully the germ uh, uh, growers will uh, will uh, will grow it, and then uh, uh, that's how we uh, kind of defeat uh, uh, germ head blight. Once again, it shows the importance of our breeding programs. I've been talking with Dr. Samia Barayas. She is a wheat pathologist with Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada out of the Swift Current Research and Development Centre. For Golden West, I'm Glendalee Allen-Bossler. Thanks, Glendalee. That's it for the Prairie Eggwire for today. If you have any questions or opinions to share, send them to us by email to farmdesk at goldenwest.ca. On behalf of Glenda Lee Allen Vossler, I'm Corey Canute. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. The Prairie Eggwire will return tomorrow on the Golden West Farm Network. Continuing with the Manitoba Farm Journal here on this Monday afternoon, the USDA released its July WASDE report this morning. I got the details from Neil Townsend with FarmLink Marketing Solutions. For the corn and the soybeans in the U.S., they didn't really change too much. They factored in the uh, larger acres that came out from the acreage report, but they didn't touch the yields, and that's that's typical. They don't really uh, deviate from trend yields in July unless they have a really, really big reason to. So they'll start to do that in August and September, and you know we expect to see, uh, for corn in particular, a little bit of a yield drag, You know, due in part to uh, North Dakota, South Dakota, Minnesota, a little bit of Iowa. Uh, for soybeans, I mean, you know, there are several million acres in uh, in North Dakota. Uh, North Dakota's had, you know, pretty dry conditions, so we also expect there to be a little little bit of uh, yield drag there. But 
it should be cautioned that there is a bit more time for soybeans to recover than maybe uh, corn or wheat or other crops like that. From a Canadian perspective, I mean, the wheat numbers were pretty exciting because they really, uh, you know, dropped uh, the wheat yield for spring wheat, for Durham wheat, and even for some key white wheats out in the uh, Pacific Northwest. Uh, so, you know, the, those uh, balance sheets tightened considerably. And uh, in a normal year, you know, they, that would be very beneficial for Canada because, you know, obviously less uh, offshore competition and increased uh, demand from the U.S. market. I think given our uh, current crop conditions and our prospects, you know, we might not be able to exploit that to the fullest extent just because, uh, you know, we have our own issues with uh, where our wheat yields might end up. Just looking at the some of the global numbers, was there anything there that uh, stood out? Or? You know, for the global numbers, I think, uh, you know, they, they didn't really tinker too much with, uh, with the wheat. Uh, you know, they lowered Russia, they increased Ukraine. They only cut 500,000 tons out of Canada. So there's going to be more changes that need to be made there. And I would say on, on balance, it's fairly neutral. Uh, the one number that they you know, were expected to change and did change was they dropped uh, Brazilian corn production. Now, that still is in 2020-21. It's their second crop, uh, but they add it with the first crop. But they reduced that down to 93 from 98.5. I think that 5.5 million tons is very significant. Uh, you know, we would have expected Brazil to have a 100-plus million ton production given, you know, ordinary weather or average weather. Um, and that corn, I mean, the big question in the market is, like, you know, who's who's going to back off on demand, right? Now, the Chinese are making lots of pronouncements like they're not going to have the same demand. But again, you know, the marketing year for corn hasn't even started, and they've already bought 15 million tons from the U.S. of corn, or, you know, 12 or 13 million tons, whatever it is. So, you know, you got to have... Uh, we got to have more proof that, that that demand isn't going to be there. And the, the shift away of uh, production from Brazil uh, and reduce their export capacity means that, you know, there could be an upside to uh, U.S. corn exports, and that would be favorable and bullish to the market. I wanted to touch a little bit on, on canola here in Canada. Um, just with the drought conditions, what, what are you expecting, I guess, market-wise as we move forward here? Well, I mean, we've been fairly conservative with reducing our, our yield. I mean, we are low. We're at about 37.5 bushels an acre, uh, which really greatly constricts the supply and, and necessitates demand destruction, both domestically and in particular offshore. Um, but, you know, I mean, the next 10 days, the weather looks very grim for, for Western Canada. Uh, you know, I think the yield probably has more downside to it than upside. And, uh, you know, that's going to be very favorable for the pricing because, you know, canola has a has definitely like a strong demand base. And I don't think people have really got the message yet that, uh, you know, our, our supply is going to be very tight. Now, the last three days we've seen, you know, considerable moves to the upside on the futures. But, uh, I mean, you know, we're bullish canola for price, but we're bearish for canola for production. And, uh, you, know, it's a, you know, the price might be high, but people might be getting, you know, a half or a third of a crop of what they expected. The one thing I will caution is like, you know, I I don't think there's a person alive who totally understands how to forecast canola and how canola is going to end up. Um, You know, I don't want to totally write off the crop because we've been surprised before in the past when we thought the crop was under some duress. The only point I'll make is that this is the most significant duress the crop has been under, uh, you know, in the last 10 years easily. 
Um, and the next 10 days, as I say, is not a very, uh, uh, you know, happy making weather forecast for Western Canada. It looks to be a continuation of very hot temperatures and uh, limited precipitation. Uh, and, you know, that's just not a good recipe at this time of year for building yield expectations. That was Neil Townsend with FarmLink Marketing Solutions. Another look at what's happening in the markets heading into the close is coming up in just a moment. Time now for another look at today's farm news. The USDA released its July WASDE report today. Neil Townsend is with FarmLink Marketing Solutions. From a Canadian perspective, I mean, the wheat numbers were pretty exciting because they really, uh, you know, dropped uh, the wheat yield for spring wheat, for Durham wheat, and even for some key white wheats out in the uh, Pacific Northwest. Those uh, balance sheets tightened considerably, and uh, in a normal year, you know, that that would be very beneficial for Canada because, you know, obviously less uh, offshore competition and increased uh, demand from the U.S. market. I think given our... Uh, current crop conditions and our prospects, you know, we might not be able to exploit that to the fullest extent just because, uh, you know, we have our own issues with uh, where our wheat yields might end up. Federal Ag Minister Marie-Claude Bebo says a lot was accomplished during the last sitting of the House of Commons. She talked about one of the highlights. The intergenerational transfer passed through uh, and got the royal assent, so it's a good news for the commitment that we had in our mandate letter, Minister Freeland and myself. Uh, so there is still work to do with the Department of Finance to to put the the real fra- framework around it, the fiscal framework. But our officials will be working on it so we can bring a more precise and and you know all t- to put in place the steps that need to be done. And on Friday. Minister Bebo announced a top-up of $10 million for the Local Food Infrastructure Fund, which will reopen for applications today. The fund is supporting $23 million in projects in 2021 and 22, and is supporting community-led projects that strengthen food systems and help to facilitate access to safe and nutritious food for at-risk Canadians. The fund has already committed $27 million to support over 625 vital food security projects across the country. According to Stats Canada, one in seven Canadians indicated that they live in a household where there was food insecurity over a one-month period during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'll be back after this to wrap up today's program. Time now for a look at the farm calendar. CFAM Radio 950 is hosting a farmer appreciation lunch tomorrow in Plum Coulee at the Harvest Christian Fellowship Church parking lot. The drive through event will take place from 1130 until 1. The grand prize this year is a Grain Max Hopper Bottom Bin valued at more than $20,000. Sponsors this year include Schooler in Winkler, Plum Coulee and St. Jean, Thunder Seed and Sun Valley Tire in Winkler and Altona. Farm Credit Canada is offering a free online workshop tomorrow entitled The Modern Family Farm Transition. You can go to the FCC website to register and the Canadian Semitol Association has moved its annual general meeting online July 24th. Visit their website for viewing information. We've come to the end of another Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us by email, thefarmdesk at goldenwest.ca. Today's closing numbers with more in-depth commentary on what's happening in the markets is coming up at 10 to 2 on the Markets Farm Program. Coming up on tomorrow's show, we'll get an update on the prairie canola crop. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. Hope you can join us back here tomorrow starting at 12 noon.